0: This episode of The Latest is brought to you by The Latest. It's officially our 25th anniversary, and I hope you'll renew your vow to subscribe, leave a five-star review, and never listen to any other podcast. Enjoy the show. It's Sunday, March 1. I'm Greg Ott. This is the latest. The shape of the race for the Democratic nomination is changing rapidly. It's unclear how Buttigieg's departure will impact the candidates still in the running. And getting those delegates means that candidates have to meet a key threshold to make it to the convention. Those Those voices are discussing Super Tuesday, the all-important Democratic primary event that tries to improve upon the worst day of the week by incorporating an overwhelming amount of politics and math. Ahead of March 3rd, in which a third of all party delegates will be awarded to candidates, the Democratic field has begun to narrow like a suit at the NBA draft. Over the weekend, candidates that had no clear path to the nomination, such as Pete Buttigieg, stepped aside to leave room for other candidates who have no clear path to the nomination, such as Tulsi Gabbard. Others, like Tom Steyer, are heading off to the exits to file a $252 million tax write-off for thousands of commercials and exactly one tie. What's left now appears to be a two-man race for the Democrats. Come November, either Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden will be taking on Bill Weld. Or should Weld somehow lose the Republican nomination, businessman Donald Trump. A smaller Democratic field has been long overdue, and I'm sure Amy Klobuchar is already looking forward to her return flight to Minnesota, where she'll get the chance to eat another salad with a comb, this time using her dandruff as shaved pecorino. Now, broadly speaking, progressives are getting behind Bernie, and moderates are getting behind Biden, forming two very different TSA lines headed by two very different septuagenarians who don't know if they're supposed to take off their shoes and their belt. But the choice between Bernie and Biden leaves Democratic voters in a precarious position, like the intern tasked with dropping off the French Oscar for Best Director to Roman Polanski's estate. Once a nominee is chosen, many worry the party won't come together in the fall. Some Biden supporters can't stand Bernie. Some Bernie supporters can't stand Biden. Me, I can't stand the word supporter, which turns your vote into a codpiece. Speaking of me, I don't have a horse in this race. Beto, Kamala, Pete, Elizabeth, Andrew, Michael, Oprah, whatever. As long as they're running for president and their Twitter handle doesn't have the word real in front of it, they've got my vote. On the first episode of this podcast, I made it clear that I worry that Biden is showing his age. Even the extended warranty seems to have run out on his hair plugs. And dating back to 2015, I've never been a huge fan of Bernie Sanders. Not because I didn't like his policies, but because I didn't like his supporters, who make Taylor Swift fans seem reasonably well-balanced. I didn't like Hillary Clinton either, because she's haunted. But voting for her was an easier decision than canceling my walking food tour of Wuhan, China. I don't care if you're a Bernie bro, a Biden boy, or a Bloomberg bitch. At some point, it's just going to come down to one of these people. Except for Bloomberg. Now, did Biden vote for the Iraq war? And do his teeth sometimes fall out of his mouth? Absolutely. Did Bernie vote alongside the NRA? And is his heart stuffed with more mesh than an electronic music festival? Absolutely. And it doesn't matter. Because neither of these men are racists who ramble about toilets and fake weather predictions. If you live in Alabama, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, Virginia, or even American Samoa, which I know you're not based on my podcast stats, go out and vote Tuesday for the person you think would be a good president. And when Bernie doesn't win the nomination, vote for Biden. Or when Biden doesn't win the nomination, vote for Bernie. Because come November, either of those options are the only option to restore a semblance of sanity in our lives. In the words of our current First Lady, it's not that hard. And now it's time for the O.J. Simpson Twitter update. Hey, Twitter world. Hey, Twitter world. Hey, Twitter Twitter world. world. This is me, yours truly. Yours truly. My guest today is Zach Coleman a refinery process operator and a member of the Union of Operating Engineers, Local 564. Zach, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. On Tuesday, OJ explored the potential for a strike of the NFL's labor organization. Hey, fantasy world, yours truly. I saw a guy on TV say that in 87, when they struck, that um, all the uh, millionaires went in, so all the foot soldiers had to follow. Well... Um, it was just the opposite in the seventies when I played because all those foot soldiers was coming to me and say, OJ, you make enough money. You could afford to strike. I don't make enough money to strike. <laughs> Zach, what do you think about what OJ had to say? As a union member, it's always unfortunate if we have to start talking about strikes, but any that workplace safety and compensation can become an issue. It's something that you have to take into account, and striking might be your your last option. Mm hmm. And what do you think about OJ? He's a murderer. That's this week's OJ Simpson Twitter update. Zach, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. And that's the latest written, recorded, produced by Greg Ott. If you like the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, other weird apps. I am at underscore Greg Ott on Twitter. Yeah, right. See you soon. And by see you soon, I mean hear you soon. And by see you and by hear you soon. Uh, I, even, I was trying to do a thing where I open. I was going to open this and I have a, a beverage. I was going uh, to. This is the worst part of the show.